In this episode, I'm speaking to interiors expert and entrepreneur Kira Campbell of Poodle and Blonde. Feeling like I'm going through almost preparation for greater things. So like you reach these heights, you feel comfortable and then suddenly you get scary and posture syndrome kicks in. And that's kind of what's going on, but in every avenue. This is something I've been working for like two years, stripping back what I want to teach my daughter, but without her having to go through the life I went through. Okay, so my childhood was just kind of bad from the get-go. So my mother was an addict and my father has been in prison since I was two. Um, Both parents, like, honestly, thank God I wasn't raised by them because it just wouldn't have been healthy. But I always think, what can I do before I'm, like, looking elsewhere for help and support? And I had one interview and I was like, thought I smashed it, I was so confident, I got a no. And it just triggered something in me. And I was like, I am not okay right now to just have no's. And I didn't go to college. So I'm just like a little silly lamb. I just couldn't take it seriously. I wouldn't have hired me, I'll be honest. I think I come across like that anyway, especially like every workplace I've worked in, I've always been the only black girl. So it's very easy to look like the sassy one, the aggressive one, like you expect that anyway. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. My guest today is Kira Campbell. She is an entrepreneur, interiors expert, and one half of luxury interior duo, Poodle and Blonde. In every episode of this podcast, I ask my guests to share their life lessons. And what I find so fascinating about this is how everyone's journey is so different, but how the lessons can be applied wherever you might find yourself in your own life. Kira's own life began with a rocky start. Her mother was an addict and her father spent much of her childhood in prison, which meant Kira spent many of her early years in care and foster homes. Fast forward to today and Kira has forged a hugely successful career, now heading up Poodle and Blonde with her business partner, Willie Williams. She's also a mother to a young daughter and keen to offer an entirely different and more secure childhood than the one she experienced. From imposter syndrome, bad attitudes, being the sassy black girl at work, too much change at once, finding stability in partnerships and more, Kira shares her life lessons in a way that's entirely unguarded. I loved her honesty. It was so refreshing and I really enjoyed recording this episode with Kira and I hope that you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoyed recording it for you. Well, welcome to the podcast, Kira Campbell. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I've had a very busy day, but I'm very happy <laughs> to down and just get some stuff on my chest and just talk. And yeah, I'm excited. Um, I'm interested. Uh, somebody asked me this question the other day when I um, sat down with them and I thought that's a great opening question. And they just went, so um, what's on your mind? So if you've had a busy day, I'm curious, what's on your mind today, Kira? I don't know. I, I'm a big believer in that everything happens for a reason. And at this period in my life, everything is happening all at once. Like all the big decisions with every pocket of what I'm doing seems to have all aligned at once. And I always question, like, why is this happening? Because it's not it's not usual. And I know I believe in like being tested and everything happens for a reason. And I um, have been 
feeling like I'm going through almost preparation for greater things. So like you reach these heights, you feel comfortable and then suddenly get scary and posture syndrome kicks in. And that's kind of what's going on, but in every avenue. Um, but I always come out stronger. So I'm kind of in a different mind frame than had this happen five years ago where I'll just be like, oh, my life's over. Um, it's more like, okay, this I need to work through this. I need to get over this hurdle. Like something big is coming. So that's where I'm at. That's a really nice way of looking at it. Because I think... It's really natural to have those cycles of sort of ups and downs, isn't it? That's just like life. And if you, when you don't have as much life experience, you can think that when you go through the turbulence, that it's because everything's going to fall apart and turn to ash. And actually, once you've got a little bit more time under your belt, you're like, oh, actually, no, usually on the other side of that, something good happens. And it seems that it feels as though that's where you are. Definitely. And I think, you're right in that the more you go through those waves, the more you can kind of brace yourself. And I think like one of my things I love about myself is my stamina. Like I can push through. I rarely get to a point where I'm now giving up. Um, and I always think about my daughter because I'd love her to have those traits, but I also understand it's actually from a place of trauma almost, like so much wrongs happening and that you build up this armor. Mm. So then I'm straight away and trying to think like, how can I give her that without having to go through the trauma of getting that and this is something I've been working for like two years stripping back what I want to teach my daughter and but without her having to go through the life I went through and I think like with the stamina thing one of it is just education so every time I go through a tough time I learn something about myself so it's like creating conversations and dialogue that are really like honest and like if you make a mistake rather than go oh it's okay let's sit and talk and how do you feel just sit in that discomfort and I think being able to sit in discomfort is the best way to embrace those scarier times in life. It, that's so fascinating I don't have children but I think that the natural instinct and definitely one of the reasons why I'd be a terrible parent is because I would just wrap them in cotton wool because I wouldn't want them to experience any hurt, rejection, any of those things and it's a bizarre point during which to bring him up but I've just been listening to a podcast with Arnold Schwarzenegger before we started recording and I remember that his son Patrick who's now quite a successful actor was was at Christmas lunch or something a few years ago and I think the story was that he was high and his dad was Arnold was like Sonny are you high and he's like yeah like obviously you know when you're a kid you think it's really cool to sort of I don't know be drunk or whatever and Arnold is like, but your life is so great. Why would you want to not experience it fully? Oh, wow. And how, I, how, <laughs> how old was the son? And like, that's just interesting. I would say one thing about parenthood and how you think you're going to act versus what happens. Okay. You just can't, you can't make it up. I <laughs> thought I was going to be this like, I can't, I'm just such a different mum to how I thought I was going to be. Like I thought <laughs> it was going to be lots of lulls and like, cuddles and I'm a fun cool mum but then very quickly especially when she started talking like this is a real human being and I have a responsibility to create someone that then like and I take it so seriously which is so different to what I thought was going to happen but she's never gonna she's never gonna be me and I never am going to control what the final thing looks like so it's just like trying and testing all throughout but using my little lessons and giving mm. her a bit did you, because um, your childhood and upbringing is, is very far removed from the experience that you're obviously trying to uh, give your daughter. So was that 
I don't know if you wouldn't mind just explaining that and also how it informed the parenting style that you have. Yeah, I think, okay, so my childhood was just kind of bad from the get-go. Um, so my mother was an addict and my father has been in prison since I was two. Um, both parents, like, honestly, thank God I wasn't raised by them because it just wouldn't have been healthy. But as a result, I was in children's homes, foster care, and then adoption. Um, and I think that in itself was one of the most benefiting experiences because in a children's home I was raised by South Asian women then foster home which was a long period of time I was raised by middle class white family and then I was adopted by my Jamaican working class family so I got to see all of these pockets of society and one thing it did is I'm able to connect with everyone there's no like I can see the humanity in everyone that's great also just like seeing how the other side lives like to go from like middle class we're horse riding on the weekends till working class like can't even get a packet of crisps for a snack like it was so extreme and it was I don't obviously when I went into children's home I was um two and a half so I don't remember what that felt like but I can assume um just seeing my daughter what that would have felt like which is everything's gone it doesn't matter that parents were abusive you just want your mum and dad and then that happened again when I got fostered. And then again, when I got adopted, just brand new life overnight, different cultures. Suddenly the food's spicy. Suddenly, why am I getting my hair came Like it was just all of these changes all at once. Um, and when I was young, I used to think about it and it used to be such a pity me story. I used to be like, oh, I've had such a hard life. And it, did, it was hard and it was difficult. But like what I've gained from that I just, I would choose to go through it all over again. Um, one of the negatives or positives is I overcompensate when it comes to my daughter. So I overcompensate being, I used to dream of what a mother was. I had no idea what it actually was. So I've always trying to be that perfect mother that you like saw on, I don't know, Annie or something. And then also like <laughs> overcompensating to make sure her childhood is nothing like mine. Um, so she's got it great. She's loving it. But it means that I can get to a point where I'm burning out and mm. I know I'm doing way too much. So things like rotating her toys, it's a great thing to do. But I do it often because every day I want her to wake up and new ideas and like everything feels brand new and exciting. Um, but I'm trying to do that whilst running a business whilst running at home, whilst being a board member, like all of these other things, it's just not really practical. But I think I would never be this kind of mother without those experience. And I would never have the stamina to try and do a startup with no investment <laughs> without that experience. Like I have got stamina. I can imagine that um, you talked about the sort of pity me energy and the vibe I can imagine it would just feel you it doesn't sound as though you think the world is against you but that kind of early start in life just feels like well I mean nothing kind of really was was going your way it just sort of if it seems on paper when I read it it was like that's a really crappy set of circumstances with which to have to contend when you are so young and you can't possibly understand any of it and yet you don't seem to have um, 
absorbed it as the world owes you something or it was unfair at all? I think part of it is because I'm one of 13 siblings, all from my mother. So I'm the third born of 13. So in my mind, as much as it sounds like a wild story, there's like 12 other kids going through the same thing that I went through. So that pity me was kind of hard to have when this was everyone's story of all the kids that I knew around me. Um, and also there definitely was times when I was young, because children, I read something the other day that children children are narcissists by default. They think everything's about them. They reflect everything on them. They can't help it. Mm-hmm. So of course that was happening with me. I was definitely thinking, what's wrong with me? Like, why can't I find a family? Why can't I find a home? Um, why do I feel so isolated? And then with that, being black in this is a big thing because um, to be raised most of your childhood by a middle-class white family and then just to be dumped in an extremely black Caribbean community, I didn't fit in. I stuck out. I was the white girl. And it's like there's this whole adjustment. So it's like I'm I'm obviously the black girl in a white family. I'm now adopted I'm somehow <laughs> the white girl in the black family. So, yeah, I definitely did feel alone. Um, and even now when I speak about it, I'm talking about it positively because I get that that's where to focus the energy. It doesn't mean there wasn't this ugly side, but it's almost redundant to keep thinking about that because Jimmy Carr did a podcast and he said, um, yeah, you can cry and say that your parents are alcoholics, but at some point you're now an adult and you get to choose what your future looks like. And it's that kind of mentality. Mm. So it's informing, but it's not defining. Exactly. Yeah, it definitely uh, happened. It's definitely impacted me, but there's two ways to look at it. And for me, I can look at it in a positive light without feeling like I'm being fake to myself. The reason why I wanted to ask about that specifically is because I think that everybody has a set of circumstances that they might feel uh, they feel hard done by as a result Mm -hmm. and obviously there's a sliding scale and some will seem very trivial to others and some will seem really big but uh, the thing that I'm interested in is how is finding that mental fortitude to to say actually I am going to um, not let the weight of it drag me down I'm going to let it push me forward I'm going to let it create momentum for me to create my own life I think that is a I think everybody has those moments where you have to make a choice do you did you did you have a moment where you had to make a choice um uh this is always the way I navigate life has kind of been consistent since I was a child and I think it's just because I didn't I don't have a mum or a dad my grandmother who did adopt me bless her heart it was more like by force have to do it now so it wasn't like welcome to the home you're welcome to stay there was no maternal love or anything so it's always been if something needs to be done who else is going to get it done except me so I don't really it's kind of good because I always think what can I do before I'm like looking elsewhere for help and support so there's a lot of skill that can come from that a lot of independence I'm a great cowgirl you know the term cowgirl I'm a cowgirl I can figure out how to do something and get it done well um is that what a cowgirl is <laughs> oh it's cowboy but cowgirl you oh, know yeah. What I mean? yeah um so yeah I just haven't had the option to seek anything other than choosing me to push forwards for my opportunities mm. um, and I think mm, 
I don't know how I feel about it now because there's a hyper independency. Like I wish I was that person that was like, like some of my friends, I watch them and they'll have to do something big and straight away they're on the phone to mum, dad, sister, like whoever. I'm like, I, I would just never do that. And it would mm. probably be nice. I would probably be a bit more balanced if I did that more. I don't know. See, I, I'm similar in that I I am very much hyper-independent and the, our mutual friend would, would testify to that to you till to the nth degree. And I really love it too. Um but then I do think it comes from a position of having previously asked for help and feeling unheard or unhelped, which stings. Or I now, I think, truthfully, if I'm being quite honest, I probably have a little bit of a fear of asking in case it, because I just think asking for help can sometimes for me lead to rejection or a feeling of rejection, not necessarily a deliberate rejecting. Oh, Actually, I've never thought of it like that. And I think you're right because rejection is definitely something that I find very hard. Actually, one of the reasons I started Pood and Blonde when I did, how it came about was because I had just left um, a job. I was a senior buyer and I had one interview and I was like, thought I smashed it, I was so confident, I got a no. And it just triggered something in me. And I was like, I am not okay right now to just have no's. So then I went to self-employed because I just couldn't handle going through the interview process. So I definitely do have a thing with projection as well, and it's probably linked to why I don't ask for help. Yes, yeah. Do you think you'll? Do you think it's worth? And I'm asking this because I'm basically asking myself: Is it worth practicing and starting to ask for the occasional nugget of help? Um. Yes. I would want my daughter to ask for help so I, I'll do stuff to show her how it's done but this is a bit cocky though I when I get people to help me I always feel like I might as well have done it myself because I am quite um <laughs> I'm so about the detail mm-hmm. and like even if it means that I have to stay up till 2am I know I no one cares like I care about anything I'm doing I think most people like that to be honest yeah, yeah. so that's another reason why but yeah, I should ask for help. Sometimes I'm suffering for no reason. Like, why am I up at 2am every night for 10 nights? I don't need to do this. <laughs> but I think that suffering, dare I say, I think sometimes the feeling that you're suffering makes you feel like it's happening. Like yeah. makes it feel worth it. And I yeah, don't know about... Works for this. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I think if something comes too easily, it's some. it immediately becomes devalued. It's like if someone just knocked on my door and said... Hey Emma, I've been following you on Instagram, and you know what's been missing from your life? It's a Birkin bag, and they just handed it to me. That, but I would, I would have, it would be nothing to me. Yeah, versus but if it, you work for it, that would be in your wardrobe. No one's yeah. touched. Yeah, I get what you mean, but that's got to do with whatever's created the foundation of us. Because mm. I've got some friends that they just get the yeses they're collecting all the yeses and they're not breaking a sweat to do it they've just mm. got a very big mentality of it's like get it done quickly and easy and like work smarter not harder and I'm really struggle with the work smarter thing because mm-hmm. working hard is my comfort I know how to do that it's the smart thing where it's like I'm taking a shortcut and maybe like paying someone a little less than I should be like I know <laughs> it makes me feel uncomfortable I can't do it if we were recording this podcast in the flesh, I would pause the tape and I would embrace you. And then there'd be there'd be 20 minutes of sobbing because absolutely, I wish I could embrace work smarter. 
but I'm exactly the same. I would rather work myself into feeling unwell and overtired than to say I need some help. 100%. It's mad. I want to find out more about it because we, you, you can get the result you want both ways, mm. <laughs> but I always choose the harder way, like, because it feels wrong, but who's judging me? Mm. I believe in some form of like a higher power, but I'm not a religious person that I believe I'm going to burn in hell if I take the shortcut, but I act like that. Yeah. I remember having a, when I worked on a magazine, had a really glamorous job and because for me, it had taken a long time to get there and it felt like such a dream job. I really struggled with people who just didn't take it seriously. Yeah. And that was my own stuff. I was like, how dare you be having a good time at work? Do you realize how lucky we are? I've had the same thing, like interns, also the different generations, the energy is so different. Mm. So like the young generations came up with like self-care. I know my worth, blah, 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 but it might be their first job. And I'm like, prove yourself before you start asking for x y and z i just can't really get it yeah but again like that's an example of someone that's raised so differently that they step in with their expectations through the roof and i'm like i'll just climb i'll just climb then <laughs> but do you know what when you really look at that it's us who's raised them like our generations who are raising those people so whenever yeah. friends of mine who've got sort of teenage kids start complaining, I'm like, but we did it. We're the ones who said they couldn't go into school because they had a tummy headache. <laughs> Every generation overcorrects with their parenting. So I'm mm. I wonder what what my daughter's gonna <laughs> turn out. <laughs> um I'm curious about the the pull into interiors because you run Poodle and Blonde Guinea. It's mm. um real really luxury, retro inspired interiors. And I wonder if the pull to create a beautiful, happy, comfortable home is born from your early beginnings. There's definitely a link. Um, I had a life coach a year and a half ago now. Changed my life. I'm going to shout her out. Um, her name is Bold Beings on Instagram. She is amazing. She doesn't hand feed you information. She just makes... You just leave room for you to land and get to the conclusion. And one thing I figured out is that I've always been obsessed with the home. Um, and I think it's because when you go into someone else's home as a child and it's now your new home, you're looking around and you're analysing and you're seeing things that are familiar. Does this make me com- comfortable? Yes or no? And actually, when I look back, every house I ever had was nice. It just all had its cultural injection or it's like really minimal. Everything's grey, everything's white, whatever it is. Um, and I moved out when I was 16 and I remember, remember the first thing, the only thing I was worried about, not having parties, nothing like that. I just wanted my space to feel like a nice home. Um, so the home's always been an important place to me and the feeling of something that feels welcoming and warm. And I've always been obsessed with homes. Do you like, sorry, say that again. I come from a family of would-be decorators. Like, we all think we're interior designers. <laughs> Do you remember the first, your first home, the first one that was yours? And what, how did you, how did you approach it? Oh, I love that place. I'd love to go back there. So it was a council, um, it wasn't council housing, but it was something that I could get reduced rent. And it was a shared home and it was just this huge double room and I don't like sh- kitchens and bathrooms. They really 
unless they're spotless, I just don't like being in them. <laughs> Especially bathrooms, like, I need to see no signs of it being used. I can't have mess and stuff. <laughs> um, so I was like, checked out kitchens, like the kitchen is gonna make me puke. I cannot cook in there. So I set up, cause the room was so big, I set up my little makeshift kitchen in the bedroom. So I had my little microwave, my kettle and toaster, and I had a slow cook pots. And then I had cupboards with all of like my cupboard foods and then kept my fridge food downstairs. But as much as possible, I would do anything not to cook in that kitchen. And then over time, just adding, adding to it. And I worked at Marks and Spencer at the time. And their staff discount <laughs> was the best thing ever. I used to buy all of their homeware. And then I think I was there for like two and a half years. And it was the tiniest, most humble room you can think of. And I acted like that was my 10-bedroom mansion. I treated it like I am home. And I love that place. So were you working at Marks and Spencer's in home or interiors? Was that where it all started? Um, it started customer services. Um, for Christmas, I got an award for the worst customer service person in the UK, <laughs> manager. That was like, <laughs> I was like, that is so rude. <laughs> okay, hang on though. Hang on though. What did you done to earn worst customer service? It was just me and my friend, Elisa. We were just very young and very dumb because um, I started working full-time from 16. I remember my first paycheck went to my rent at this place. Like I never, it was work from the get-go. Mm. So, and I didn't go to college. So I'm just like a little silly lamb. I just couldn't take it seriously. I wouldn't have hired me, I'll be honest. But <laughs> I was a likable person. That's why I stayed. Um, but I started on customer services and then... I was used to mess around with the mannequins, even though I didn't need to. So then my manager was like, basically, you're rubbish at custom services. Would you like to get into visual merchandising? I said, does it pay more? He said, yes. I said, absolutely. <laughs> but then I started visual merchandising. And I got to a point where they were sending me to other stores. And other stores had way bigger um, homeware departments. And I was like, oh, I'd love to do visual merchandising with homeware. Like, I love homeware. Um, and at the time, my end, my biggest high of my career that could possibly happen was that I was a home and visual merchandiser for Marks and Spencer. And I was like eagle-eyed, like trying to get that job. And they finally got the job. Um, and then they moved me to a huge Marks and Spencer in central London. Everyone was mean to me. And I was like, eh, I need to go. <laughs> but essentially, that started my homeware interest. And then I worked for Selfridges as a homeware visual merchandiser. Um, and then, yeah, it just went from there. So then you started Poodle and Blonde. And again, you talked about just starting this business with no investment. Just how, what's the seed of that idea? Because it's gone and it's huge now. Well, after I finished, I actually worked for a competitor. And after I worked there, I had the whole interview thing. And I was like, I can't interview. Um, and I always knew that I wanted to start a business like this. And part of me, my previous role was like learning how to through buying, like learning how to make products, how to figure out the price. Um, and I was like, I don't actually know what those early days of a business look like. And I didn't go to college and I tried to do this myself. Like it, it was just before I started working at the competitor company. Um, and I had about three months of selling at farmers markets and losing money every month. So I was just like, yeah, I should have went to college or something. So um, I set myself up as an interiors consultant 
And I literally just changed my Instagram intro and I started messaging people saying, hey, I'm an interiors consultant. And I thought about this because I saw how small businesses struggle, struggle financially. And I always used to think, why have they got so much stuff? Like if they just had a couple of us experts in once or twice a week and then the lower paid people do the work. And I always used to think that. So I was like, there must be a market for this. There must be companies that can only afford one person one day a week, but at least it sets out there what they have to focus on. Um, so my first client, I got her through word of mouth. No, I got her, I approached her, sorry, I pitched for her. And then everyone after that, I came through word of mouth. And Winnie was on Instagram talking about, I'm launching this retro brand. And I, was, I loved her Instagram anyway. So I was like, this is going to be amazing. And then she kind of disappeared. And then she did another post. And I thought, I swear she said this like a year ago. So I scrolled through and she had been saying, launching soon, launching soon. So I just messaged her and I was like, just so you know, I'm actually a brand consultant. My whole, everything I do is about new and emerging interior brands. Um, and no, production coordinator was the term that I use. And she had a career in music. So she was for production coordinator. Like, how does that work in interiors? She didn't know. So she met up with no idea about exactly what I did. And it was just an energy thing. We're both a bit hippie with this, but we could, we just, it just felt good. And on top of that, her idea was very similar to my idea. And having tried it before, I know that I've got a limit to my creativity. I'm more, it has to make sense. Mm -hmm. Whereas she's thinking in the fields, let alone outside the box. It's like everything's possible. Mm -hmm. so I, was like, I was like, this could be a dream duo. And we just on the spot decided to launch the business together. I quit my consultancy, which was the most money I've ever made in my whole entire life. Like that was a good hustle. Um, but I didn't care. I was like, I've got, I've got this, like, this is going to be amazing. Winnie had quit her singing career and we both just launched the business um, together. But then two months after us agreeing, I got pregnant. <laughs> so we were like, oh shit. <laughs> and I actually gave birth a week um, after we launched the business. But again, everything happened for a reason because it meant we had to do it well. Yeah. Uh, well, there's so much to unpack there, but I think one of the things is, as we've uh, come off a conversation about hyper-independence and then you go into quite an intense partnership that sort of sparks up overnight. How do you manage that? Because I think partnerships, particularly in business, especially when you have trust issues, can be really challenging. So what do you think it is that's made it uh, so that you guys can work together and obviously it works very well and has done for years now? We'll be right back after this short break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Partnerships, particularly in business, especially when you have trust issues, can be really challenging. So what do you think it is that's made it uh, so that you guys can work together? And obviously it works very well and has done for years now. Well, firstly, I didn't realize how intense a business partnership could be. I would compare it to a marriage. Like I don't see the difference that in your life you've got to consider them on everything you do. Um, and secondly, I've always, I kind of figured out ages ago that how people first see you and perceive you and the boundaries you set in those initial early days, that's just it. Like you have to kind of from the get go, make it very clear what you're about and what you expect. So we split our roles and we listed down bullet points exactly who was responsible for what. Um, and it just meant having that there from the get-go kind of held us both accountable and she kind of knows when to step up, I know when to step back and we kind of do this like bouncing off each other. Um, also with like energy and just life and just being a woman, sometimes I'm up, she's down, like, we just kind of take it in terms, if I see she's struggling, it gives me that extra push to get a bit stronger for her and vice versa. Um, but yeah, had I known it's going to be this complex I would have hesitated to go into business with her to be honest but luckily it has been like the perfect she is the perfect business partner for me um but that was a risky gamble I actually can't believe on reflection <laughs> that I did that <laughs> but maybe I think ignorance is bliss in this scenario because had I known I probably would have overthought it I think what's really interesting there is that sort of like you have to set out your stall and I think it's so easy when you start anything whether it's a relationship a romantic relationship or a friendship or a business partnership you, you want to be the path of least resistance you want to seem to be easygoing and I think it's maybe it's something that women struggle with more than men uh historically but I think you it's very easy and tempting to to fall into the I just want them to like me and then if they like me then things will work out as opposed to I need to be very clear about what my boundaries are what I will and won't tolerate early doors otherwise this is going to yeah. be a shit show I think, again, that probably comes from, like, so much bullshit happening that at some point I'm just like, bad enough. <laughs> I know what could happen. Let me just put the boundaries in place now. Um, but to be honest, it works for me. I do it with my, like, when I'm making friends as well. I'll do things like, let's say I'm, I've met up with someone and we're starting to become friends. I'm not going to text you 24-7. I can't set that as the standard because the minute life gets a bit busy and I'm pinning back, now you're personally offended. So, like, just little bits like that, I'm, like, setting the boundaries that I'm not going to be that person that's texting you at 2am constantly, paragraphs, not me. <laughs> and it's not because I don't want to. I just don't want the pressure to have to do that or feelings are going to get hurt. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I like I, I like setting my boundaries. I'm not, too, I'm not too tough with it, though. I'll be well, a bit flexible. That's the thing I was curious about is like, how, how do you set that in a way that doesn't seem 
like doors shutting, slamming in people's faces. And again, I might be projecting here because I think it can be a really difficult thing to communicate. It's just like, just because I'm saying no to this doesn't mean anything bad. It just means it's a no. Um, I don't understand people that aren't direct. So, and I, I think, I don't know what it is, but when there's kind of a dance, especially women do a dance when they're getting to know each other and I don't understand the dance. So I will just stop the dance and be like, can I ask a question? Because <laughs> I don't understand. Um, and I've tried to do that dance thing and it doesn't work. And I think it's because I don't actually understand why we're doing this. Um, when I was a child, I was actually mute for a time. I didn't speak after my grandma adopted me because it was just a lot of shock. And it wouldn't matter what happened. I remember I was in church and I, I got stung by a bee in the back of my neck and I started shaking. And I just silently rather than let someone know hey I'm having a really bad allergic reaction I was just silent because I didn't want to bring attention to myself and there was so many stuff that happened as a result of me not saying hey this happened and I think yeah I've gone from that to just the complete opposite and being like stop I don't like it um like this is my boundary this just happened what can we do next um but because I'm I would say I'm quite authentic. I think people do feel comfortable with me. They, they kind of know what I'm about and I'm never mean about it. I'm very empathetic, sometimes too empathetic about how I make people feel, how people, what people are going through. So I think it's just practice. Like the more you mm. do it, it becomes natural. I think, it, I think it's just that it, it, for women, I think it's that you can come off hard or tough or ballsy or aggressive if you're saying no. And so I think, again, you said one can shy away from doing it. Yeah, definitely. But also I think I come across like that anyway, especially like every workplace I've worked in, I've always been the only black girl. So it's very easy to look like the sassy one, the aggressive one, like you expect that anyway. So I think it's just easy for me to like play that character if I need to. Um, I've never got to a point where I've, I've seen women that are absolute like dragons they get what they want they have no mercy like I've never got to that I actually don't want to be that it makes me uncomfortable but I'll say enough that I'm protective it's interesting I was having this conversation with someone the other day about how actually if you're direct people will somehow admire you if you're a like I've I've like you I've seen women in the workplace who are complete dragons who I'm quite scared of and you wonder if when they get through their front door in the evening they just press a button in their neck and they go into standby mode because they don't seem to be at all human but they actually have a lot of respect from the people around them because of how they operate but then I've also seen women who are trying to set boundaries and instead of using their words and I'm guilty of this too I will go quiet or perhaps you'll read it on my face before you hear it out of my mouth and that actually oh, yeah. causes more problems than the directness, because then I think there's one thing to be feared, but ultimately have people's respect, but it's another thing for people to think you're a bitch, which I think comes with the latter. 100%, and I think when you are setting your boundaries, even if it makes you feel a bit uncomfortable because you, you you want that time to get to, to know someone and gain their trust, they feel safe as well, because they know what to navigate. So, they're less likely to cross lines. Um, they know there's going to be a conversation if something goes wrong. I I think it's way worse 
because you especially the facial expression thing I do have this as well like you'll see what I'm thinking before I say it mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll just go um but then to not say it afterwards it creates like this energy which makes everyone stressed and mm-hmm. you get a lot of workplaces where you, just the energy you can't wait to get out of the office and that's yeah. because people are not speaking it's true isn't it you you also mentioned I think you mentioned it earlier but you talked about it a little bit as well uh before we started recording this is imposter syndrome yeah and given the way that you've described yourself it sort of almost like doesn't track for me I'm like I can't imagine you feeling that way but obviously you do I think I got over it very recently to be honest (laughs) it's a life coach I mentioned but it definitely comes back like right now um, I said that I'm going through like so many big decisions all at once. I think, yeah, there's a part of me that wants to like back down on how hard I've been working and like stop, um, like just make myself smaller. That feels comfortable. And that's part of the imposter syndrome being like, oh, maybe you made the wrong decision there or like whatever it is. Um, but I think it's more something that is in me and I know how to control it, which is literally by force. Um, and someone who said it to me, I can't remember, but when you feel uncomfortable, like, oh, I shouldn't really be here. That just means you're leveling up. If you feel comfortable, you probably should be taking a step forward now. Um, so I always think about that when I walk into a room and I'm like, went to dinner at Coots and everyone was just like, so bloody successful. And I was like, how the hell did I get an invite here? Um, but then I thought of that, I was like, no, this is great, I'm supposed to be here. And then I get to be more human as a result. And then, you know, I then am supposed to be there because I'm acting like it and I'm welcomed. Um, but yeah, imposter syndrome's not nowhere near as bad as it used to be. I love, it now. I love that way of looking at it as um, if you're uncomfortable in a situation, it's because you're leveling up. And it's a little mm-hmm. bit like the expression... You never, what is it? You never want to buy the most ex- expensive house on the street and you never want to be the smartest person in the room because you're in the wrong room. And I think, <laughs> I love that, like the dinner at Coots. It's like, oh, I'm here because I was invited, which means that, and nobody made a mistake. Yeah, exactly. Which is um, a really powerful way to lean into it. Yeah, I was also going to say, with imposter syndrome, I think, um, sometimes I think it's glamour- glamorized in a way that's how can I explain it basically it's definitely a real thing but feeling anxious is not necessarily that I think imposter syndrome is when you're literally where you're supposed to be and you don't it doesn't feel right that's imposter syndrome I think a lot of people mistake I'm nervous for an interview that that's not that that's a very natural reaction which actually um the same chemicals that make you feel anxious are the same ones that come when you feel excited so you can just flip the script in your brain Mm -hmm. and sometimes with social media and these 10 second videos on something people are self-diagnosing these things um and I just think yeah the word is used a lot um and it's sometimes it's sometimes it's not that and by putting a title um, about around something you can make it way heavier than it needs to be uh, when actually you're just it's a very natural reaction to something that's such a good way of putting it. I actually had someone come on the podcast a few years ago um Kate whose surname I've now forgotten but um it will come to me I promise uh she studies imposter syndrome but actually she insists on calling it imposter phenomenon 
like a syndrome mm. makes it sound like an illness it somehow pathologizes it whereas it's a phenomenon of being in a situation and thinking a certain way and that way that you just described it is perfect it's like you are supposed yeah. to be in that room but for some reason you're telling yourself that you're questioning that that yeah. but it's not anxiety which is a completely different thing altogether yeah I mean like some of the stuff I've done it's just mad that I don't feel like that person it's actually it's happening <laughs> it's not like I just got invited to one dinner like I've had a business we launched it with 15 grand and it's five years later it's still going and no we're not making like hundreds of millions and like this amazing growth story but we're here and sometimes I'll talk like I'm, I don't actually have a business or like I'm not actually a founder I don't know so for me that's imposter syndrome when it's like mm. You want to shake someone and say, wake up, this is your life, uh, versus those bursts of anxiety that come come with life. I don't know about you, but I've definitely engaged with a lot of success stories. And I think actually the thing that I really got into with podcasts years ago, probably 10, 12 years ago, was tuning into these podcast episodes with really super successful people like Arnold Schwarzenegger, for example. And when you look at it like that, when you start engaging in all of those things, I think you can begin to really glamorize and almost fetishize the, the story of success. And I know that's what, what has happened for me personally is that I have gone out on my own, started this podcast, I'm freelance. So everything comes from me. And mm -hmm. yet I probably, I would say, get to the end of every single day feeling dissatisfied because I think it should look better than it does. And it yeah. means I'm not appreciating it right now. And that's something I've really noticed this year. And I know that is something that needs a lot of my time and attention because it's going to be that inevitable thing, isn't it? That in 10 years time, I look back and was like, why wasn't I enjoying this? Yeah, I think I have had that as well. And I always manage to catch it before it gets out of control and humble myself because me 10 years ago would be literally jumping up and down, cannot believe this is your life. Yeah. And I always think like, yeah, the height of my career was being a visual merchandiser at, at Marks and Spencer. I surpassed that and then it and then it moved and then it moved. But at every point, I, I was always my past wildest dream. And here I am unsatisfied. I don't know. I just think <laughs> we are miserable by nature. I do think it's very <laughs> hard to keep a human satisfied. But sometimes you've got to just check yourself and just remember where you came from. Well, do you know what you say that? But I reckon 300 years ago, if you got somebody up gave them good honest work to do and fed them a decent lunch and a supper and gave them a comfortable place to sleep they probably were fine and yeah. yet now it's like do I need a new I don't know what did I what was I oh do I need a new bomber jacket do I need a new footstool like we're always trying to uh accumulate for happiness and oh. yeah do you think that you would still have those feelings of I'm not quite satisfied if you weren't on social media it would be very different it would be very different because I think yeah it, it, you're absolutely right it depends on what else you're seeing and the thing yeah. about social media is you're seeing everything so you are seeing the height of success you are seeing and you're only really seeing the success stories you're seeing every even the bad stuff you're seeing people's best edit of the bad stuff so yeah I would love to know if I would have had so many issues if it wasn't for social media um, because with Poodle and Blonde, we're also the face of the brand, which is something I, <laughs> in the beginning, my dream was to just be in a cupboard, in the dark, working away, no one knows it's me. Um, but 
together we're so commercial that everyone always wants us to be at the face and every time we do pop up there's always opportunities to come off the back of it and it's like for our brand it makes so much sense to be the face but it was not ever something that I wanted um because mm. I'm quite shy I'd rather just be behind the scenes um and I think having to display publicly hi I'm Kira from Poodle Blonde uh has ma- made everything mean so much more and really the meaning is just what do other people think of this and I reckon if that was stripped away and I was just in my little corner <laughs> my little dark corner I probably would have less feelings of I'm not satisfied I need to do better mm. one thing I'm really curious about at the moment is again talking about success and how we've sort of glamorized and fetishized it I actually think that um individual enterprise sort of working for yourself is something that we have I think it must be on the up and up the idea of being a cog in a corporate machine or being a cog in I don't know the NHS it's become um almost sorry say that again almost like it's frowned upon like that is a great job most jobs are great jobs um but there's this thing about being self-employed and being self-made and like if it's not that then it's not impressive I think I don't know I have very mixed feelings it's very hard to talk on this because I know I am a founder so it's like of course you'll say that but generally I think it's a very toxic way that we're all going this self-made like do it all super mum kind of image I don't think it's sustainable I think if people actually knew what it was like many people <laughs> wouldn't choose that um and it's also creating so much judgment just for your everyday person. There's this little pocket of who everyone wants to be, but then the majority who are hardworking allow all this little pocket to keep going. Mm. It's like, oh, that's not that's not goals. That's not career goals. Yeah, it's that thing of like, will will young people want to become nurses, doctors, engineers, or will they want to become influencers? And yeah, they do have lots of teenage cousins and they don't even consider working in Tesco. And I always say to young people, I don't care what you want to do. You could be a lawyer, whatever. You have to have a job in your Marks and Spencer, your Tesco, your McDonald's. Like that kind of customer service role will teach you so much about life. But they just want to be influencers. I'm like, guys, they would not be seen dead in the Sainsbury's outfit. I'm like, what are you talking about? You've got 15 pounds in your account. You've been saving that for three months. You need to get a job, but they're not interested in getting like your normal job anymore. I don't know so much about the boys. I've got a lot of girls that I speak to. Mm, Yeah, well, we need to put a pin in that because we need to help change the situation. Because again, like I said, I think partly that might be our doing. And by our doing, I mean like (laughs) older women. you also talked about being on your own in the cupboard. And I thought what was really interesting, and again, I can relate to this, is you were talking about how you like being around people, but you have to end the day by yourself. Oh, and yeah. I'm I'm very much the same. So, and I'm sure there are people listening who can really identify with this, this idea of you can be really sociable, you can be the you can be the extrovert, but at heart you are an introvert. So you need to be in silence for a good portion of the day, preferably before you go to sleep. Yeah, I am exactly that. I can be extroverted, but I'm definitely an introvert. I find comfort being by myself that doesn't mean I want to be isolated but at some point I just need that pocket so whether it's in the morning no one talked to me or end of day no one talked to me like 
as long as I know within the hustle and bustle of it all, there's a space for me to just, just like sing songs to myself in my head or like just do nothing. I do need that because socializing, even now I am 32, I would say I figured it out in like the past like 10 years I've got to a point where I can socialize and feel comfortable but prior to that I think because of my childhood and everything it was always a big minefield and I found it very exhausting and part of that is just figuring out my kind of people Mm -hmm. and I think with British culture there's this thing where you have to really display that I'm happy and happy to be here and I'm, I'm like really not offended about anything like just smiling and I always used to like when I was trying to socialize like really smile and be like I'm not intimidating I'm like really nice (laughs) just kind of taking the pressure off and I kind of know how to navigate socializing in a way that I won't necessarily burn out and if I do I don't care I'm you're not seeing me for a week I will have my time with my daughter and that's just me done are you now at that stage where you can walk into a party take one scan of the room and go yep not my night and you just turn on your heel and go home because I am (laughs) I used to be and I think that was another thing like the guilt of doing something like that so now I'm more particular with what I say yes or no to um if it doesn't serve me and if it's not something that's gonna push me or there has to be a reason Maybe it's like someone I love is celebrating for you. I'm going to come or I don't know anyone rather not do it, but you never know who's going to be in the room and I'm trying to like figure out whatever I'm going to do it. Um, But before I just say yes, because I was invited and I'll just be there thinking, I want to go home and I feel Mm -hmm. so bad. I want to go home and then I go home and then I feel terrible that I spent the whole night doing something that didn't make me feel good. So I'm just getting a bit more careful, um, with how I spend my time socializing Mm. it's a tough one I think especially if you are do have that sort of extroverted introvert part of you I don't think people necessarily can understand how uncomfortable a social situation that from the outside looks really wonderful and joyous I don't think they can necessarily understand how uncomfortable it's making that individual feel and how actually the best thing they can do is leave you know I would love to learn about because I've never heard a podcast or read a book on this to be an introverted mother and to have an extroverted child no one warns you (laughs) like my daughter actually my daughter's played a big part in me being able to socialize way better than I ever did um we would go in the pram she's extremely cute before she could speak so it was like people would approach us and I was like oh god I don't like this and then when she started speaking anyone that made eye contact she's holding hands and I'm just like oh my god get away from them she loves like groups of young men (laughs) she will approach and I'm like oh my god let me get my child um (laughs) she's forced me out of this like I would rather I wouldn't have been able to start conversations connect with people as quickly if I didn't have her constantly pulling me to anyone that's looking in our direction um so that's been fun but I also think someone needs to write a book on it because (laughs) we must be warned (laughs) this can happen that's really fascinating and also I think it was interesting that you said that you found uh, becoming a mother or actually being a mother really challenging because you didn't have a template you didn't have uh, an example to follow 
So you had to not make it up as you went along, but you had to sort of decide what kind of mother you wanted to be without really knowing what that looked like. That I was faking what I thought was a mother until it felt natural. Um, when I was a child, I never got hugs or kisses, no form of contact. Con- contact. Um, my first contact was when I started having sex. I never had contact prior to that. And I knew when I had my daughter that I wanted her to have cuddles and hugs. And I remember when she's born, I would literally tell myself, oh, you, you can't kiss her for a kiss, 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 hug, hug, hug. And I'll keep doing it until it felt like the most natural thing ever. Now we have like 10 minute long hugs. And I'm literally like, all right, <laughs> enough. Um, but I had to train myself to be like, this is the kind of mother I want to be. So I'm just going to keep doing it until it felt feels really natural. And it, it luckily works. And yeah, it's just, it's funny making it up like that. Does it extend... Yeah, does it extend outside of your relationship with your daughter? Are you more tactile with your friends now, do you think? Or are you still? Um, what, with, with touch? Yeah. Um, I think most of my female friends would love to just hug me until I can't breathe. But I do get, <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I don't mind a little hug. But then when it's like a long embrace, I just doesn't feel natural. And I want to enjoy that hug, but I can't do it. Um, same with, like, my boyfriend's. I'm sure he would love way more hugs and kisses. It's just not natural for me to do it. <laughs> but with her, I see a child and an innocent thing. And yeah. I, that, I can bring it out of me for her. It's just adults. I'm still like, oh. Do you know what? During lockdown, so I spent lockdown by myself. And so no physical contact. And when during that, I remember reading an article about the importance of physical contact and how like when you touch other women, you release certain hormones when you touch men you release certain hormones and it's all really important for the just the general uh the the mental mental and physical health and so as soon as I went back into the real world I was like giving people hugs because I was like my body's missed out on these really crucial fundamental expected hormonal reactions that you have when you're around females and males and so I was just like I just would hug everybody relentlessly sort of like but in a way that they wouldn't necessarily have realized what I was doing. Just like when I'd hug, I'd be like, give them an extra squeeze. And I knew what I was doing. I was squeezing like a biological response out of them. But they just thought I was just being a bit clingy because I hadn't seen anyone for two years. <laughs> I'll be honest, that is so far from any, like I, I've i got friends that are so touchy, almost like they need it. Uh, like they'll have a little sniff after they hug. I'm just like, how can you ever imagine like needing to do that? I'd like to be that person, but I just, not in me to just go around hugging and sniffing. (laughs) Well, that makes me wonder, do you have a way of self-soothing? Because um, I think it's, I think like I sometimes will just like, I have a particular friend who gives really good hugs. And if I haven't seen her for a while, I'm said, give me one of those, give me one of the good ones. Just because I think I might just hold it for when I need it or whatever. But I'm also quite good at if I need to just sort of have my own counsel and figure something out, I will be able to self-soothe. So, but obviously I can't hug myself. I'm not, I'm not that hippy dippy. But do you have things that you do in lieu of a hug from somebody else that makes you feel that calms you down, that you think perhaps maybe you don't even realize you do it? I don't think I have anything. I say busy. Like yeah. if I'm not feeling it. I'll just like I'll just find something to do yeah, until I'm um but I'll enjoy it but 
it's more like a distract I'm yeah I just kind of distract myself from what, what I'm actually thinking until it passes um I used to be a big snacker I used to have such a sweet tooth before bed I'd have my popcorn my Maltesers and yeah I just don't like sweets anymore I haven't found a replacement yet <laughs> oh. did you put the Maltesers in the sweet corn because that's where the magic happens of course. <laughs> oh, sweet corn, not sweet corn, popcorn. Popcorn Maltesers, of course. Lovely. I love that. That um, would have our entire friendship would have hinged on whether or not you put the Maltesers in the popcorn. Um, is this why you say yes to any opportunity that comes your way, do you think? Because when I asked you about opportunities, you're like, oh, I believe in saying yes to everything at least once. Yeah, I believe in saying yes to everything once because you don't know what you don't know. And I don't know I can I'm I can just assume what I like what I don't like and it's only through this rule that I set myself I figured out there's so much more of me that I'm just choosing not to dip into or there's so much of me that I think this is a bit of me and it's not so as long as I say yes once if I don't want to do it again then that's fine so like I've done fashion shoots before probably will never do it again <laughs> it's just not it did, I didn't enjoy it I didn't see value in it um I mean I'll do it for something that had a cause but just as a thing like I kind, I'm kind of figuring out the things that I'm interested in outside of my business and being a mum which is two things that I'm passionate about mm. yeah I think that's a I actually think that's a really good rule just say if if you've not done it before say yes do it do it just once I might, yeah. have, might have to steal that from you. <laughs> it's a great rule. Um, a lot of people might be listening to this thinking that there's something that they would like to do. And they also might be, and I again, I can relate to this. They also might be thinking they're waiting for the right time. I think we can all yeah. think about something that we thought, oh, I'll do that when, or I'll start that thing when this thing happens. Sort of almost like waiting for things to slot together like a jigsaw. But you talked about the fact that you started Poodle and Blonde or you decided to start Poodle and Blonde and then very quickly found out you were pregnant. So on paper, that wouldn't have been the right time. So what would you say to somebody who is putting off starting something, whatever it might be, because they're waiting for the right set of circumstances? I think Poodle and Blonde has taught me that you cannot plan for anything when it comes to business. Um, if you've got an idea and you're excited about it, that's probably the right time because I know everyone thinks with these individual people, I've got my own opinion, we are all taking in the same kinds of information and we're, our brains are like, this is why trends happen because we're, there's kind of a wave effect where we're all kind of being drawn to the same thing and we're all into the same thing. So if you've got an idea and you're like, shit, this is exciting, there's probably other people out there that are tapping into that idea. So if you don't do it now and just see what happens, someone else is going to take the idea. And also, if it's exciting now, it might be because now's the right time and actually leaving it in two years' time, you've now missed that opportunity to start and do it as successfully. Um, the idea that you can have a perfect plan, I don't think there's an entrepreneur alive that would agree that there's any way to do business. Mm. So just go for it, basically. Just go for it. I think if if you really need some kind of security, the best thing you can do is be very intentional about what it is you're trying to create. And outside of that, just do it. 
So yeah, do your business plan, talk to people, look at competitors and like be really intentional about what you're creating and make sure every decision you make lines up with that end goal. Mm. Um, that is my biggest tip actually, definitely. Outside of that, you, at some point you just got, got to do it. Yeah. And so there's, there's, so talk to me about controlling the controllables because looking at what other people are doing, keeping your eye on stuff, that's all really important. But at some point you've kind of got to let it happen and release it into the world if you like and sort of wait is that the hardest part for you when there's a little less control kind of yes yes so I love doing art actually and a lot of people won't call themselves artists unless their art is good but if unless their art is selling Mm. um but if you are you're an artist uh same with like people don't call themselves a musician unless someone's downloading their music but if you're writing songs in your room you're a musician and I think people don't want to pull it out there that hey I've just launched a business unless they have some kind of guaranteed sign that it's going to be open six months one year because mm-hmm. it's like oh it's embarrassing I failed I failed Um, And no one wants to do it until they can feel confident that it's a success. And this is where we talk about um, feeling unsatisfied. And like, we got to remember where we came from. At one point, you couldn't even draw. Now you you can like, do you know what I mean? So, yeah. I kind of forgot what my point was. No, no, but you're right. It's appreciating, isn't it? It's appreciating along the way rather than appreciating once it's over like appreciating in the moment. And I saw somebody on social media the other day talk about um, Oscars and how it's really common for Oscar winners on the night of the Oscars to go home and feel wretched because we just don't know how to process the world's eyes on you going, you're really good at this. And so um, I don't know, I've not spoken. Have I spoken to Oscar winner? I'm sure I have spoken to an Oscar winner before. But anyway, the point being is that it's just too much. and And I think there is something to be said for I don't necessarily buy into this whole sort of gratitude journal thing because I think that can sometimes get a bit woo-woo, but I do think there is real gold in just appreciating very subtly, not having to write it down, not having to put it into a notebook, but just appreciating what you're doing as you're doing it. Otherwise, potentially, yeah, it'll be in the rearview mirror when you can't really do much about it. Yeah, I think unless you get huge investment before you launch most people that want to start a business are forced to share it with their friends and family, get those initial customers from their own circle and shout about it as much as possible on social media. So I know I mentioned like being an artist or a musician, but I mean, kind of at least you could do that in private and just get on with it if you wanted to. And I think the fear with starting a lot of business ideas is that, you know, at some point you've got to shout about it. And it is a lot of pressure. So I won't even take away that feeling, that sick feeling that people get. Um, but I think it's more embracing it. And you, you're you always going to have to go through that regardless. So you might as well just do it now while you're excited. Mm. I mean, you, you've obviously got Poodle and Blonde. It's going well. It's been going now for a while. I'm sure that the journey isn't particularly linear. But how do you not let the bumps demotivate you? Um, I think because I gave birth a week after we launched, I've sacrificed so much for this. So I don't remember that first year really because I, there wasn't really time to take it slowly. Um, like when she was sleeping, I was working. When she was up, I might be on a phone call. And 
Yeah, she went to nursery way before I actually wanted her to, but it was at a point where I couldn't afford more staff, but the business was nonstop. So I just don't, I, I am going to push through like until it's by force that like anything happened with Poodle and Blonde. Um, and yeah, it's that stamina thing. Like I've always had stamina for the scary parts because it's almost com comfort comfortable for me to be in that place. I know how to do that know how to go shit we've got to get strong now we've got to get brave I know how to do that um so I just keep pushing forward well that's good advice isn't it get comfortable in the discomfort and um then you won't feel I guess you I guess when it does begin to feel like it's getting tough you're like right let's go as opposed to right let's stop exactly and I think actually sorry here's the biggest thing Having a business partner, if you can find someone that you trust, there are so many benefits that come from having a business partner. So the amount of times that I have burnt out, as soon as that happens, I don't even have to say anything, Winnie's turned into Superwoman. And we get to do that. And it means when she needs rest, she can rest and vice versa. Mm. So I yeah, honey, I actually don't know if I could have done Poodle Blonde by myself. I don't think I could have. I think I would have. I would have really struggled at some points if I didn't have someone to lean on. And I don't know how people start businesses with their partners because <laughs> I think I even try to explain how my day has been. It's just like, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, thank you for sharing so many insights on your life and how you've approached business and I've definitely taken away some excellent lessons from this. I wish there was video of you being appalling at customer service in Marks and Spencer, so I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'll send you something over. <laughs> um, please let listeners know where they can find you, how they can get hold of Poodle and Blonde and uh, anything else that you might want to share. So my Instagram is underscore Kira Campbell, K-I-E-R-R-A Campbell and Poodle and Blonde at Poodle and Blonde. Visit www.poodleandblonde.com for all your retro inspired interiors. Um, and also check out my business partner, Winnie Williams as well, at Winnie Williams on Instagram. Listeners, I will make sure that those handles, those web addresses are all in the show notes so that you can click through really easily now that you are listening. But thank you so much for coming on the show, Kira. It's been a pleasure to chat. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I do hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time hugely. If you did enjoy it and you never want to miss an episode, then please do hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. It's also where you get the opportunity to leave a five-star review and a rating for how you feel about the show. And I'd be so grateful if you wouldn't mind leaving one. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Or you can DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I am at Emma Guns. If you fancy chatting to me and thousands of other fellow listeners of the podcast, then click the link to join the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You have to answer a couple of questions, but we cannot wait to see you there. Come over and join the conversation. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. <laughs>